Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. This is the OKS Trapper, part of the OKS Podcast Network, with host Zach Hansen, author of Turning Feral. Hear stories, lessons, and fireside chats through a journey of hunting, trapping, and wilderness living in the modern age. Howdy, everyone. I'm your host, Zach Hansen, and welcome to another episode of the OKS Trapper Podcast. We here at OTP do not have any official sponsors. However, there are some products out there that I think are pretty nifty. One of those just so happens to be Trapline Coffee. Not only do they make pretty bang up small batch coffee roasts, but portions of the proceeds get donated to the National Trappers Association. So if you're like me, love trapping and coffee, go to traplinecoffee.com and pick up a bag today. It'll fuel you on your line and help fund the fight to keep this pastime around for our kids to enjoy. Now, Today's guest is someone I have personally been very excited to talk with. She and I have been close to crossing paths several times, but until today, I have not had the pleasure of sitting down to talk with her directly. She's a registered nurse with a background in emergency medicine and neuroscience. Pretty awesome. A successful big game hunter, a social media phenomenon, a mom of two outdoor kids, a wife, but most important to this program, she's one heck of a trapper. Kate Small, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad we were able to finally coordinate things and, and hop on together. Um, yes. You know, I think a lot of people who might know of you probably consider you to be a wolf trapper. That's a lot of what you're putting out into the ether, and that's awesome. But in my experience, being a you know, relatively new trapper in the past six years or so, I find that most people kind of eventually specialize in a certain species, which seems like it's wolf for you. But yes. First question that I actually have for you, is that how it started? Did you start out immediately in the wolf trapping or did you kind of ease in with other species? So I, I don't know how to trap anything else. I've never yeah. tried. I've, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm very new. I'm a novice trapper. Um, we started trapping. Well, okay. Start from the beginning. Yeah, we, we hunt wolves. And so we'd be seeing this one particular pack and they would always be 3000 yards away. And we'd try to cut the distance and there's, you know, four legs are faster than two. And so they're 3000 yards away again, once we get to where we need to be. And we just started studying this pack and where they were going the corridors they were running. And we were like, man, it would be really great to trap. Um, you know, we could only get out there. Yeah, we have two little kids. We work, can only get out there a certain amount of time to hunt them. But traps can hunt 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so um, we went to a banquet and there were six wolf traps in this auction. And I bid on them and won. And I think maybe a week later, I, I after talking to one of um, my older 
um, friends who's a successful wolf trapper. I picked his brain and Justin picked his brain and he gave us some tips and we went out there and we put those six traps out and, um, you know, didn't have luck for a while. And I think it was almost six weeks to the day. And I was expecting it to be sooner because I had a pretty good pattern of when these wolves were running through. Um, but six weeks, I think, to the day we put them out, we caught four wolves. Wow. And that was three three years ago um, is the first time we started. And then just since then, we've been learning <laughs> still and catching them. But yeah, I've never, I've, you know, wanted to get into other trapping, but wolf trapping so time consuming as it is. And I'm like, and that's my main focus because I just, I have a real passion for wolf hunting and trapping and all the predator management that, yeah, but I'm, I need to learn. I want to do otter and beaver especially. And we've caught coyotes in our wolf traps as well but just as a so mostly more. focused on on canines and i you know i got as you can see behind me just overtaken by the lust of beaver and otter trapping i love river trapping mm -hmm. but wolf trapping is up there too but you know you mentioned you and your husband have been hunting wolves you had pretty good ideas of patterns and that's kind of what triggered you to get into trapping and then you bit on them and put some traps out but i have to ask and this was one of my questions that I had later in the show, but I'm going to bring it up now. Describe to me, having hunted wolves, you know, shot them at some distance before, come up on a wolf, probably feeling a lot of adrenaline, even on a deceased wolf, what it was like to walk up the first time to having not just one, but four wolves and footholds, probably in a pretty close proximity. It well, <laughs> so like I said, we were new, so it was not in a close proximity. We <laughs> we trap in pretty wide open country where there's no timber, it's mostly sagebrush, and <laughs> we didn't have ground anchors <laughs> in, and they were just on drags. And so we actually had to grid it overall was 19 miles to find all four of those wolves that day. And now we've learned <laughs> from that, yeah. but it was, it was definitely a learning curve for us. And, you know, we dealt with the snow and not being able to get in, um, earth anchors into the ground, uh, the frozen ground and the mineral rock. And so now <laughs> we're more prepared and we haven't had that issue again. Um, okay. Now we do anchors I, and I you know, again, we're, we're jumping around a little bit and I love it just on the question base, but you know, one of them is what is the most egregious mistake you've made on your trap line? <laughs> and, and I don't know if it's not having the, the earth anchors and kind of that wide open space or not, or if there's another one, but you know, just to touch on that a little bit, then showing up to where you knew you had sprung traps, but might not have seen all four wolves. Was it, yes. what was that experience thinking, oh no, our traps are gone. Did you have this initial thought of, you know, somebody maybe messing with your traps and then Absolutely. kind of you to figure out what happened? It was like excitement because we're like, oh, my gosh, there's wolf tracks everywhere and four traps are missing. We're like, we're pretty sure that we caught four wolves. But then you you don't know. And it's huge country. And so we and there at that time, the snow had all melted or most of it. So you couldn't really track drag marks. 
And so it took so long and we, I'll say a lot of it probably was luck that we found them in a lot of gridding areas. <laughs> and cause some, we like to trap on a ridge. So uh, two went down one side, two went down the other. And it was a bit of a nightmare, but it was also so exciting. Uh, but for, until we found the last one, I don't think we actually took a breath and <laughs> like relaxed at all. <laughs> Well, well, that's amazing to me because I can't imagine, you know, having a wolf on a dragon, that wide open country, searching for them, now knowing they're there. And for listeners who maybe are back east or haven't hunted wolves, you can't imagine that this critter is in the best of moods when you're trying to find it after, you know, you've been caught in a foothold and maybe run, like you said, several miles. So was there that added anxiety and that kind of search for these animals and what you were going to find? Absolutely. So the first one we found, um, which we should have found a different one first and ended up walking right by it and didn't know. It was just in sagebrush bushes. And we found it later, but we were like, holy cow, we were 15 yards away from a wolf. At that point, it was stuck on something. But um that was a little nerve wracking. Um, the first one we came across was the alpha um, of the pack. And he was just going nuts and howling. And Justin walked up to him and he was caught on just barely, I think, caught on a log. And as soon as Justin approached him, he picked up the chain with his mouth and picked the whole thing up and realized, oh, I just released myself and then started to come and Justin luckily was ready and shot him. But it was like, Oh, <laughs> that. so it was definitely an adrenaline rush. And then, um, like I said, we walked past that one without knowing it ended up finding that one second, found a third one that was fairly easy just in the other drainage. And then the fourth one was hiding under a log and I had to crawl under the log with it to get a, because it was in this ravine and to get a good shot. So that was nerve wracking. <laughs> but after that, that was, that was it. You were hooked on trapping, you know, oh, now yeah. you, you know, you weren't just chasing a pack, glassing them up at 3000 yards, cutting the distance, finding them 3000 away. Now you found a way to keep hunt 24 seven, like you said, and start to really thin out some of these packs. So yeah, and we realized once you, I think, catch your first one, you're like, okay, this is doable because it can be so discouraging. And even it took us six weeks, and I, I was just like, oh, this is never gonna happen. <laughs> yep. And and when you guys were first starting, do you remember what kind of sets you were making by chance? Like, was it just like? blind trail sets, P-posts, was it a little bit of everything? We did a combo of P-posts and dirt hole sets. And um, we just kind of, we knew that they ran this ridge. And so we were like, well, if we can just lure them just off a little bit, hopefully we can get them. And I think at that time there were, I can't remember, I think six or seven in the pack. And we had six traps out and caught four and um that was in that, that was in march so it was towards the end of the season um and then the following year we caught four more um and so it just yeah it's just been learning 
that pack and um it's it's been a wild ride and you're always every year you think to yourself like oh i probably won't get it (laughs) and then you just got two this year right or was it three yeah so i while justin was gone i got two and then he came home and he ran the trap line and two weeks later he got one out of the same pack or is it yeah yeah same pack and so i think you know they're getting a bit educated we can see where the ones that have been around a little bit aren't walking where we'd like them to and they're going behind our traps to like smell down into the dirt hole and they're getting smart and so I have a new pack that I've been researching and I'm gonna set out traps here shortly yeah it's it's equal parts nice being a wolf trapper and I think equal parts disappointing that you can say well this pack we've kind of thinned out and might be a little educated and we want to take the pressure off. So I'll just go to another one, which yeah. kind of the state of Idaho, like where I'm at, we have five active packs that aren't really being trapped. So I'm constantly out there and there's very few other people trapping opportunistic hunters are out there, of course, but yeah, there's just big numbers. And that kind of leads to my next question. What was the, genesis of you and Justin getting into wolf hunting, which eventually led to wolf trapping. Was it just the pursuit of a predator or had you seen declines in elk population? Like what was that purpose for you to get into this you know, pursuit in the first place? Yeah. So Justin grew up in Idaho, but I grew up in Oregon and in Oregon, you can't, I mean, they really have no predator management basically whatsoever. Um, and especially wolves, you can't even hunt them. You can't trap them. And so I, I'm late to hunting. I started when I was 19, but even then I'd see deer and elk. And throughout you know the years, I was seeing less of those and more wolf tracks. And then I moved to Idaho and I was like, oh, you can hunt these things here? Like, and it kind of, and then we had kids and I was like, you know, I went, my daughter to grow up and be able to know what a bull bugling sounds like or what it's like to have muley backstrap on the mountain. And if we keep going in this trend the way we are, where wolves are overpopulating and decimating our ungulate herds, my kids aren't going to have those opportunities that I had. And so that was kind of the big push. And with Idaho legalizing wolf hunting and trapping, I was like, well, it's kind of our duty as hunters. I always say, if you're going to take, you know, an ungulate, you should at least try to take a predator as well and kind of even it out. Yeah. It's interesting. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, you know, I'm, you got started late in hunting at 19. I got started late in hunting and trapping at 29. So, you know, nonetheless, I was talking to Shane Mowry last night. Um, the bone maniacs guy, he's also an Idaho native and solid wolf hunter, wolf trapper. And, you know, his viewpoint was watching the last 20 years. He said every hunter now who's going out elk hunting, deer hunting, whatever, the idea of just having a wolf tag in your pocket should change from the mentality of just having that as an in case. But if you're out elk or deer hunting, you're also out wolf hunting because they're going to be around those herds anyways but switching that mentality to really get the numbers down to be manageable, because I'm sure where you're at, it's the same as me. Where I live, we have an 80 mile, well, 69 mile, be 
precise here, dirt road, you know, just a forest service road in and out between our town and the nearest paved road. And driving that road in the winter, literally, and I have pictures of it, every 10 miles or so, so 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, and 70 into town, there's at least one wolf or mountain lion kill on the road. Half <sighs> eaten, whether it's a calf or a full-size cow or a deer. And I'm sure you guys see it too. And I, I oh, know yeah. people understand the devastation that these critters can really cause on the undulate population. No, I, I don't think they do. And I, I try to explain that to people when, you know, you get a lot of people that don't understand why we hunt and trap wolves. And I, you know, left unmanaged wolves population will grow 40% annually. Mm-hmm. And so um, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, when they first introduced or reintroduced however you want to (laughs) slice it or (laughs) however you feel about that um they in Idaho um said you know 500 wolves that's the max basically and in the northern Rocky Mountain um population segment it was 1100 wolves and that includes Idaho Montana Wyoming um a portion of uh Oregon and Washington, and then a small portion of Utah. And our Idaho's latest count was 1,337. So we're above what the maximum carrying capacity for that whole region is just in our state. Yeah. And, and it's growing, like you said, year over year. Because oh, yeah. I don't know, do you know offhand how many pups are in a litter every year? Well, roughly? I mean, so... <laughs> According to Idaho Fish and Game, I believe it's between six and seven. Um, but I have friends that have documented 13. They're dogs, you know. Yeah. They could they could have four or they could have 13. So it just depends. Um, and also there, I think it's about 30% of packs are breeding more than one female. And so you're getting two litters in one pack and where I think before they thought it was just the alpha male and alpha female bread. And that's just not the case. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to go in the face of a lot of evidence, but I want to go a little deeper just on Kate in general. So this is going to kind of still touch on trapping, but by trade and career, you're a nurse, right? Yes. So I have to know, you know, being a relatively new trapper, the first time I case skinned animals or tried to butcher animals, it was horrifying. So are there any things that you learned as a nurse in your background that when you did get into hunting and trapping actually benefited you? And just as an example of where my crazy mind goes, like (laughs) were anatomy classes like helpful in animal butchery? Was giving shots or IVs to people helpful if you do extract urine from a gland? Was any of that background relevant to being now a solid hunter and trapper? Um, I think... Mainly what helped me was, and this maybe doesn't have to do with me being a nurse, but more just a creep, but I've just always been into blood and gore and okay with it. So that was always a huge help because I know, I mean, I have some friends that are hunters, but they get queasy at the sight of blood. And so skinning out an animal proves to be difficult. Um, But yeah, muscle groups, you know, are it's different, different anatomy, but you know what you're looking at, at least coming from a nurse background, um, the organs and 
all that. Um, but more so, I think having that nursing background, I feel a lot safer out being in the back country um, where I kind of have the knowledge of what to do. And that comes with, I lived in Africa for a while and I uh, lived with a remotely with the Maasai tribe and I provided healthcare and we had no electricity, no running water and very little supplies. So I learned to use things around me to, you know. Have you ever had to enact that? And, and I'm a part of our local search and rescue in Atlanta, oh, Idaho. Awesome. So if you're in unit 39 and you hit your Garmin button, be prepared because I'm going to show up and I'm not a nurse <laughs> and I have very limited EMT experience. You're like, just leave me. <laughs> Carrying you out. But um, <laughs> have you ever had to use any of that, whether hunting or trapping? I mean, you have um, the experience, you feel comfortable, but any good stories about that? Let's see. No, honestly, no. I mean, Justin's clumsy, so he's cut himself a couple of times. And, but not, I mean, it's just like, okay, hold pressure. Nothing really wild. Um, one, I came across a girl, we were just camping though, and she had broken her arm. And so I just made like a makeshift sling, but nothing too wild or crazy. Hopefully knock on wood yeah. <laughs> that that doesn't happen. I agree. And one of the things, you know, it's not the same level of being a career nurse, but finally doing our EMT course, hopefully my wife and I, you know, because like you said, where you guys live in the middle of nowhere, we live in the middle of the nowhere. Then we go and play in an area that's even more in the middle of nowhere with no cell service and take kids now, right? I often yeah. take my two and a half year old on my beaver lines and the river and the little bits of training I've had give me some comfort, but I have to imagine, like you said, you know, having that career in your back pocket is probably a pretty big, you know, little check mark to say, I feel confident in playing out here. Yeah, I do. And I do definitely feel confident. Mainly, I feel confident that I can assess and know what's going on. But, you know, you're so remote, you have so like little tools on you that at the end of the day, what can you do? <laughs> you just, I always carry a tourniquet. And that's my biggest thing is, you know, just prevent bleeding. <laughs> and, and throw up a prayer and hope whoever you're with or you are tough enough to just say, oh, I guess I'm walking out of this. and do Exactly. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have the resources to deal with something, what do you do? You could have all the knowledge in the world. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, you're in unit 39, you hit that button, I'm showing up and I don't think you're going to be that much happier when I do. <laughs> um, so we talked a little bit about the drag situation and the earth anchors kind of being the first big aha learning moment from trapping wolves. Yes. Now going to the first shed, are there any big moments because like you said you weren't a trapper you hadn't done much other trapping so i can't imagine you were casing many animals were there any big boo-boos that happened in your fur shed when you were first trying to case out your wolves um well let's see we i mean we had hunted a few and so we we tube them out and yeah. that's uh i think our first ones we got we doubled up that day and that was, I think Justin did both of those because it was like that polar plunge. And so where we were, the wind chill with the wind chill, it was negative 44. And he did both of those, but we learned quickly how thin their skin is yeah. <laughs> and lots, lots of slices <laughs> yeah. in those things. So it takes a bit of practice to get used to that pelt and hide. 
Yeah. Do you have any little tricks like that? I mean, I think it's, it's just a learning curve, right? It is one of those things, whether you're doing Fox, Coyote, Wolves, Bobcats, they all tend to be a little thinner skin, yeah, like a beaver or an otter that's very thick skin. It's a little more forgiving with the knife, but have you found any little tricks as you go, or has it just been experience and doing more of them that has helped you to kind of avoid those initial mistakes you made at the beginning? It's, it's all just practice. And then you kind of get in your rhythm and you, now I can do it a lot more quickly than my first one. I was like, well, how, what this is, how do I do this? But yeah, now I like, um, I, you've probably seen, we always pack ours out whole one because we don't want to leave a wolf carcass on our trap line. And yeah. then two, we usually have very limited time because we trap about two hours away from us, an hour and a half, two hours. And so we have to rush back to the babysitter <laughs> or school, pick up the kids. Um, so we usually bring them home. And then I like to do the front legs while it's laying on the ground. And then I can hang it up on our hook and tube it out from there. But fine, like doing the front legs when it's hanging upside down and you're down on the ground last is has not worked for me. So. <laughs> Yeah, it never gets seems to get easier. It gets faster, but never easier. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, so you know, what you just said makes me feel very fortunate about where I live. So I live in Atlanta. I take out my front door and my back door, and I'm running my trap line. You and Justin are having to drive two hours one direction, right, to where you're yeah. going. Then you're hiking, pulling in hundreds of pounds of you know, dogless traps, setting them up. I'm a parent. I have two young kids. We have another on the way. Oh, congratulations. I appreciate it. May, uh, we were actually at our 23-week ultrasound today, and everything looks oh, great. Oh, that's awesome. Congrats. Thank you. And I want to know, how in the heck do you balance it all? And the reason I ask is, I have close proximity. I can throw my daughter in the truck, and we can go, or the side-by-side, -side or on the snowmobile, but with your kids being a little older with school, with other stuff, being a nurse, how do you guys manage that family calendar to be able to A, do it, and then also be successful at it? It's, I we've kind of set ourselves up. Like you, we moved to a small town so we could be closer to hunting and trapping. Unfortunately, the pack we wanted to trap just ended up being two hours away. Um but we kind of decided that we want to spend our lives. That's our passion, hunting, trapping, and that's where we want to be much like you. And um, with Finley, our daughter, she's five. So she just started kindergarten. So that has thrown a bit of a, a wrench in it. Our, our son, Jack, is two. And so we can still kind of throw him at the babysitter. And, you know, luckily we have one really great family in town that I can inreach and be like, I got a wolf and I can't pick Finley up from school. Can you please? <laughs> and they're wonderful. Um, but yeah, it proves to be difficult. And I, I haven't taken the kids out on our trap line yet because we're crossing a body of water and it's, we, we don't start trapping until this year. It was after Thanksgiving and it's usually more in the winter months when we're not hunting elk or deer and we can focus on that a little bit more. And so it just gets pretty bitter cold here and the risk of taking them. And then I have to hike them in. And if I have a wolf, then I need to hike them out so I can go back and hike the wolf out. 
And so I haven't gotten to do that, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I just haven't felt too comfortable taking them yet. Uh, but the balance of it all, you just, I think you just have to want to do it. Um, you have to want to make it work because it is, it is a lot, but if you're passionate about it, you just find things you want to do, right? <laughs> if you want it bad enough, you're going to figure it out. And that's kind of where we've been at. Um, I, I think it's going to get more difficult the older our kids get with sports and things like that. And there might be sacrifices on our end where we can't do it as much. Or yeah, maybe you go to the kids' games, right? That's, I'm like, or maybe our kids will hate sports and we just hunt and trap. we'll see. Hopefully, hopefully that. But, but it's, yeah, it's just kind of the balance and setting yourself up for what you want to do and prioritizing. For us, it's really important. Um, and that's, you know, and I think for us, when the kids are a little bit older, obviously their things are going to be more important. Um, and unfortunately, <laughs> but that's why right now we are also taking advantage. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, my wife and I have those conversations because, you know, my wife helps me out a lot on our trap line doing things like that. And we love it. We love being out there. But we've also had those, say, come to Jesus conversations. Like we recognize that we can raise our kids in this great environment, expose them to these things. They may take to it like, you know, a bead of honey, whatever, or they might not. And we have to be okay with both of those outcomes and supportive. And, you know, I think we kind of gleefully ignore the reality that, you know, we might be pulled away from that passion for a short period of time, but you know, as parents, it's what you have to do. Yeah. It's that kind of what you signed up for. And, but yeah, just like you said, hopefully they like it enough that they want to do it, but I am, I don't know, my daughter's, I don't think she's mine. She, <laughs> she is not very outdoorsy. Some days she likes it and other days she's like, no. And I just keep hoping like if I just a little bits, I don't want to push her into it. But we're like, come on, let's go, <laughs> go coyote hunting. Yeah. I think she, that is, you know, my daughter's a, an outdoorsy gal through and through, you know, I bought her little two and a half year old waders this year and we were out in the river beaver trapping, but as excited as she was that flip switches and it's, I want to be at home watching Paul. Yeah. Like, oh, exactly. okay, um, <laughs> you just have to, to deal with it. Exactly. You do. And yeah, I mean, you're going to be busy with three. Yeah. I don't know what we were thinking, uh, probably <laughs> but we're going to make it work. So you know, the other thing I, I'd be remiss not to touch on with you is social media, right? So in my eyes, at least, you have quite the following. And with that comes unprecedented amount of support and what seems like probably an equal, if not greater <laughs> amount of hate. So absolutely. how do you handle that aspect and share your story so publicly? Like I wrote a book about my story. So only people who want to pay money go and read it. You know, you're out there and showing just awesome work in my eyes and then getting different feedback. So coach me. I'm, I'm not a social media person. I'm new to Instagram. What am I in store for if it ever blows up? And oh, how do you handle it? So for me, it's 
I honestly, I find most of the comments because some of them can just be so awful. I th- we, I've had people say we're gonna put your baby in a blender. You know, we're we're gonna hang all your whole family's heads on our wall and just things where um, it makes me mad. But at the same time, I'm like, you're so ridiculous. I get being upset with me, but going after a child or they'll threaten to kill my dogs, which makes zero sense if there's some animal lover. Um, so a but I have, I have a very sarcastic sense of humor and also a very thick skin. And so it doesn't really get under my skin. I mainly, I'll first try to educate. And that's always my first thing um, is education. And I throw out statistics. Um, we touched on them a little bit here, but I really like to hammer on statistics and why we do what we do. And this is the purpose. And wolves are never going to be wiped off our landscape. There's laws against that. Once they get below that 500 mark, they're relisted and we won't be able to hunt and trap them. So, and I respect wolves. And I try to explain that to people. I think anyone who hunts or traps wolves, you have to respect them. And I pr- we probably respect them more than these people that have seen a poster of them, you know, and love them so much. Um, but I tr- also try to explain the devastation they cause. And it's multifactorial. It's not just a wolf is killing deer and elk, but the wolves have also pushed the elk down onto farmlands. And so it's causing farmers millions in crops. Um, they're running mountain lions off kills. So that mountain lions having to kill again and again, and there's just so much to it that it's, it, it takes usually my explanations very lengthy. Um, but I've just learned for the most part, you might be able to change one or two minds, which I try to, um, for the most part, you can't argue facts with emotion. They don't want to hear it there. You know, you just can't argue with emotion. And so eventually I like, I go to sarcasm and if they're like being really mean, then I'll mess with them a little bit. Cause I think it's funny, but <laughs> well, um, just my, on a negative note, then like, what is the most positive aspect of social media? Cause there's definitely two sides to the coin. Oh, absolutely. I think the most positive aspect when I do get those like waves of anti hunters saying awful things. It's really cool to see other hunters and trappers come in and be like, no, 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 you're misunderstanding. And to know that you have that community behind you and there's other like-minded people that understand what's going on in those situations. I think that's the best part. And also you'll get other hunters and trappers that don't like wolf hunting and trapping. And so to, I think being able to talk to them a little bit and connect and reach out and be like, Hey, listen, and they're usually more open Mm -hmm. to why you do what you do. Not always, but that aspect's cool too, to kind of change another hunter's mind. Cause in my opinion, hunting, trapping, no matter what you're doing, we all need to stand together because the anti hunters force is strong and we could be really strong if we stood up and, you know, discuss that I had, one guy reached out to me. I had just posted a, a reel of me dropping the wolves because, you know, when you take pictures different when with wolves than you do other animals. And he was like, you shouldn't have posted that. Like, I'm a hunter, but that's so bad. And I understand that there are certain things we shouldn't post. I never post things in traps um, just because not that I care, but because it's a bad image, 
you know, for the anti-hunters get a hold of it. Um, but more and more, I'm kind of taking the stance on that's real life. And we need to be showing this maybe with a piece of education, but showing people that this is what they do. Wolves, I respect them, but yeah, I'm holding them and I drop them. I'm not laying them to rest on the ground because their own family, their own pack isn't doing that. Our last wolf, which this is an interesting story, actually, the one Justin just got, (laughs) um, he walked up and he sees that we had to trap the wolf, you know, wolf tracks, there's blood everywhere and the trap's gone. Mm -hmm. And we're like, what he had, we had an earth anchor in and a drag and what had happened the best we can think. He later found that wolf, not later, but like a couple minutes later, about a hundred yards down the drainage. And it was um, not caught on anything. But what we think happened is that as soon as it stepped in that trap, it made a yelp, which usually they don't, it doesn't hurt them. You know, they're fine. But we think maybe it just made a yelp. And the other, there were three other wolves there. We knew this because they bedded above this wolf that they attacked. And you could see their beds in the snow. But right when it yelped, because there was no catch circle, we think the other three wolves just piled on it because that's what they do when one's injured or makes that sound. And it ripped out our anchor. And then the other three wolves from there just attacked it. And it wasn't caught. It had its our trap on its foot, but it wasn't caught on anything but they had done so much damage to it by the time justin got there it couldn't go anywhere and it was still alive but and so it's just you know and i don't eat wolves i know maybe some people do do you eat wolf no okay (laughs) it's like that's not you know you smell a wolf and you're never gonna eat one that's my thing it's like an otter you know i eat beaver but you smell an otter you're not gonna eat an otter um yeah it's just you don't eat wolves. And so my response to this guy back to, back to the main story was, you know, I don't eat it. I do respect them, but this is real life. This is how I handle wolves. And I don't think I, as hunters, we shouldn't shy away from things. We need to start standing up against the anti-hunters and educating and being like, this is what we do. This is why we do it. And we're not going to apologize anymore. Yep. And, you know, I always welcome people to throw 50 to 120 pounds in a pack that's in a weird <laughs> shape with bobbly legs and a head and try to walk more than a mile and then tell me you don't <laughs> want to drop that pack or you don't fall back to take a rest every <laughs> once in a while. Exactly. Uh, well, and even, I mean, when you get a deer, are you like, let's just, when we're getting this picture, let's move it so gently. No, you're ripping that thing and rolling it. And it's, there's respect with it, but we we put on a show for social media a lot. And I think we, part of me, I mean, is just like, let's, let's show what we really do because it's not pretty when you're skinning out an animal to get that meat to eat. It's just, it's life though. It is. Yeah. It's a hard one. I was reading something the other day and I think this had to do with the whole Matt Ranella hunt quietly. And there's just all this back and forth, right? Like you have to be, you know, don't show those grip and grin photos don't show you dropping it and it's like all these mandates and there's merit to it like you said but i think overall it's just storytelling and i think maybe hunting trapping especially is all in its infancy in this new world of social media like it's been around for a long time 
but that storytelling is new, right? And to yeah. your point, how do you balance authenticity, which is the fact that we're catching animals in traps and dispatching them and sugarcoating it enough to where it's palatable to, you know, a certain threshold or common denominator of people. And, you know, exactly. we're always going to be figuring it out. So maybe we offer each other a little more grace in that attempt um, as we go along and figure it out. But for listeners too, I have to say that the Smalls, you and your husband are also entrepreneurs, even if you don't admit it. And the reason <laughs> I say that is last year, and I'm really bummed that I missed it, was you put on something called the Western Wolf Academy. Yes. And that is focused on all things wolf hunting and wolf trapping, where you guys you know, took the time to pull together so many experts across the West, bring them all to one location and offer that opportunity for either folks who are new to wolf hunting and trapping or maybe seasoned wolf hunters and trappers to all kind of get together like an old trapper's rendezvous, talk shit around a fire and drink whiskey, but also do you know, modules that are dedicated to each of these different things. Can you tell me a little bit more about A, what prompted that and how you got it started and then what last year was like? And then yes. how did you find out about this coming summer? Yeah, so um, this all started, so it's myself, my husband, Justin, and Tom Snyder, with, who's with Stuck in the Rut. And um, we have talked for years because we all wolf hunt and now we wolf trap as well, but we wolf hunt and it's hard to do. And we were being fairly consistent, but it took us years and years and years of learning and so many failures um, to become consistent in it that we were like, you know, we should get together, put all of our information together and cut the cut kind of the years out for people because we want at the end of the day, we want wolves managed. Mm -hmm. And if people are out by all means go out and hunt them. But when people are out hunting and they don't know what they're doing, wolves are so smart that they become educated quickly. So if you go out and you take a shot on a wolf and you miss, there's a good chance. Nobody's ever going to get a shot on that wolf again. Um, they're just very intelligent. And so we wanted to cut that learning curve that we had to go through and all the heartache of missing wolves and screwing up opportunities. And we're around, we've been around them so much between myself, Justin and Tom, we've kind of gathered, okay, this howl means this by comparing stories with each other and a couple of our other friends. And so we go over that in the course about, it's kind of like elk hunting. They have their howl, their roundup howl and, you know, things like that. And so we go over different howls. Um, Tom hunts terrain that's different from ours and we hunt wolves differently. So you get those different aspects that he hunts a different time of year than what we prefer. And so it's, you get kind of like that whole gamut of wolf hunting, but what we're hoping it does is one saves people all that time because there's not a lot of education out there on how to hunt wolves. There's a lot on elk. There's a lot on deer, but there's just not much out there on wolves um, and to, uh, wolf hunting. And um, then, you know, it helps us in the long run. If you have other people out there successfully hunting and trapping wolves. 
And so that's kind of where it came from. And last year was our first year and it was awesome. We had so many, we had people from all over the country and we had so many different levels of people from people that have never really hunted, but wanted to get into it from experienced guides, you know, that guide all over the U S and it was just, everyone came together. We did all these different modules and then we had a really cool wolf course. So we set up life-size wolf targets. We had air guns and we made you run a course on real life shots. We've had to take on wolves. And so you got that practice of being quick and prepared And then we also go over trapping and how we set up our traps and hit on the importance of, you know, studying a pack before you just go out and arbitrarily put out traps. And so it's, it was really cool. And we're really excited to do it again this year. And it's called the Western Wolf Academy and it's going to be July 11th through the 14th in Idaho. Awesome. And is there, there's a website correlated with that? No, because I'm basically the source of information. You can't trust Tom and Justin. Um, (laughs) So if anyone's interested, they can just message me on social media and I'll give them all the information. It include it's three days and it includes lodging and all meals. And then you get some awesome goodies, um, basically our wolf kit and what we use to hunt them so awesome well i know there's going to be a lot of great people out there i'm planning to be there so i'm looking forward to people listening to come out check it out learn a little bit share information if you have it so that's going to be awesome now one question i always like to ask you've been running a wolf trap line for several years now and because you haven't trapped other animals you you can extend this into your hunting experience in the woods What's the most bizarre thing you've either come across or seen while out in the woods? Oh, man, I should have been prepared for this. Alien, Bigfoot, you know. So I haven't, I I didn't see it, but we, Justin and I had an experience. Um, we were, we had been archery elk hunting um, the same spot. And we'd walk back through the same area back to our teepee every night. And one night we're walking back and just like this wave of heat hits us and this like sweet smell. And I didn't, I like kind of saw him stop and I stopped and I was like, what is that? And all of a sudden, just all the alarm bells went off. And all the hairs like on the back of my neck stood up and I didn't, I hadn't said anything. And Justin turned and was like, we got to get out of here. And it was, and I don't know what it was. I have no, for all I know, it could have been a mountain lion, but it was like that Bigfoot experience of I've never smelled that before. What's that heat wave? And why do I feel in danger? (laughs) That. Yeah, I love to ask that question because I've heard some whoppers and some interesting things, but you know, th- this isn't to scare anybody off. I want people who are like me, who are adult onset to be out in the woods, whether it's solo with other people, but there are some weird things that happen and that is kind of a topper. That is interesting. Have you have you hy- hyperanalyzed it at all since then to try to figure it out? Like, was it maybe like a mountain lion in the vicinity? Was it, you know, the hand of God saying like, there's a bear up here, turn around? 
I, we like thought about it and we, you know, we've been around every animal predator in our area. There's like, nothing smells like that. We've had so many like close bear encounters where we've gotten charged multiple times, things like that. So like, it wasn't a bear. Um, I mean, it could have been a grizzly, but they're not known in that area. So I, I don't, I've never been really around grizzly bears, so I don't know exactly what they smell like. Um, so maybe that could have been it, but there again, I've never heard of a grizzly being in that particular area. So, but yeah, it was, we try. we talked about it a little bit, but also we like to say our little saying when we're out hunting is it's probably nothing because so much creepy stuff does happen. And you're like, I know I heard something and we yeah. just, it's probably nothing. Uh, Justin I thought to, he heard I need to screaming. adopt that phrase. What's that? I need to adopt that phrase. It's, it's we're going to make shirts because we, everybody that we take hunting, we, something like weird happens. And Justin's always like, it's probably nothing. And we just move on and don't discuss it because we don't want to know. <laughs> That's awesome. So one of my last questions I have for you in the same vein of kind of not necessarily odd things. I could be completely wrong, but I think last year at the Glen's Ferry Fur Sale, I saw somebody with a video. Have you had any non-target catches or mountain lions in a wolf trap before? Yes, we certainly have. Um, we have gotten, we last year we got two mountain lions and um we were not prepared the first time so we did the um oh man ply plywood board and all that but the second one we got we got in two traps and <laughs> um it was actually justin by himself when he went up but luckily after the first one i had purchased that cat that catch release pole um which I have one now too. What's that? I have one now too. Yes. Oh my gosh. They, it's amazing. And Justin did it by himself. He got that lion out of two traps. The lion was fine. He backed away and you know, it's, it's six, I think it's six feet. Um, you, you almost wish it were a little longer because six feet with the lion isn't much, but at least it's better than a plywood board between you and that thing but yeah i mean that that just goes with trapping it stinks but you're gonna get bycatches and you know if you get an ungulate it's you hopefully you can release them okay but if if you know something ever happens you just have to think well if you're trapping wolves you know I, if i get a wolf i'm saving so many of these and because i i have some friends that have trapped ungulates and they haven't survived and it's they're hard on themselves and you're like, yeah, I get it. But you know, if you get a wolf, then you're 60 of them or whatever the statistic is. Yeah. I think it's on average, they eat um, about 20 big game per year. And that's, that's just what they eat. That doesn't include surplus killings, like spontaneous abortions from them running the elk. Um, like we said, the mountain lions and their dogs. So a deer runs by they see it, they give chase, they take a bite out of it, realize they actually weren't hungry. It was just instinct to chase and they leave. And so, yeah. So final question with 
trapping. There are a lot of regulations. There's a lot of rules. It can be very overwhelming for somebody who's interested in getting into it. I imagine folks who are looking at your Instagram who might be hunters or anybody else who does hunting and trapping say, I think I want to trap. But then you start to look at the education you have to do, the the classes, the equipment, the boiling, the hanging, the descenting. What's your one piece of advice for somebody who's interested in trapping, whether it's wolves or any other species? I would say find someone who is a trapper My and go to that person and pick their brain. Because I think, I could be wrong, but most trappers I've met are more than happy to just talk trapping all day long. And that's what I did. I was on the the board of the Foundation for Wildlife Management with my, now one of my, I consider my best friends, um, Don Sickles. And he took me under his wing, me and Justin, and he we talked to him for days on end before we put out wolf traps. He We'd call him all the time, and we still do. We're like, well, what do you think about this? And just find a mentor, whether it's online or um, like if you come to the Wolf Academy, we're going to go over trapping and just find somebody that's willing to talk to you because it's, you can watch all the YouTube videos, but everyone does it differently. And so you get all these different bits of information. And once you get into it, you'll find your own groove and what works for you. Um, you know, there's a hundred ways to skin a cat, but, um, and I wouldn't take anybody's you know, people get sent their way. So if somebody's like, you've got to do it this way, this is the only way it works. You know, some people are really careful with their scent. Others aren't, things like that. You just have to figure out what works for you, but find a mentor that can kind of lead you down the right path. And because it is, it's a lot, it's really expensive to get started. And then it's a lot of information and just with anything, be prepared to fail over and over again, but try not to get discouraged and stick with it. Yep. I'm a testament to the failure, but Kate, I want to end this by giving you a huge shout out of thanks for coming on. You are seen and appreciated for what you do from a conservation standpoint. I know that our listeners to this show have gained insight that they may have not otherwise had, and hopefully they got a deeper glimpse into the makeup of one of Idaho's best wolf trappers, Kate. You are out there putting steel on the ground and helping to preserve our big game numbers. So thank you. Now, for those who maybe hadn't heard, you know, you are not quietly lurking on the sidelines. So where can people follow your exploits and where can people find out more, you know, about other things you have going on? Yes, you can follow me on Instagram at Kate Small Outdoors. Um, I'm on Facebook just as Kate Small, but I, I'm more just on Instagram. We're working on a YouTube channel, but I, I have so much footage that I don't have the time to ever edit. So maybe there at some point. But yeah, mainly on Instagram. And I'm more than happy to answer questions too when it comes to trapping. Uh, because I like I said, it's all about management and getting those wolf numbers down. Awesome. All right, folks, you heard Kate, go follow all those pages. And if anybody out there's an editor who wants to do pro bono YouTube video <laughs> editing, reach out, uh, help support a fellow hunter and trapper. Also make sure that you subscribe to the okay as trapper podcast on whatever application you use. And until next time, get out there and put some steel on the ground. Thanks everybody. <laughs>